You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. Tonight, I want to talk to you about uh, something that I really have just mentioned and I haven't really ministered on. So it could be a little bit new to some of you, but I want to talk about a vagabond mindset or a vagabond spirit. Has anyone in here um, ever heard, besides for those of you that heard me this morning, has anyone ever heard a teaching on a vagabond spirit before? Anyone not ever heard a teaching on a vagabond spirit before? A few of you. Okay. So um, this could be uh, could be new to some of you, and some of you, if you especially if you heard me this morning, it's uh, not new. But... Uh, this really, really helped me when the Lord began to shed light concerning this. And one of the areas we need light shed on is how the enemy works. And so I'm going to get into this in a little bit, talking about what a, what a vagabond spirit, a vagabond mindset is, and uh, really help to uncover some things. This is going to help you, and it's going to help your family, and it's going to help you uh, navigate situations. It's, it's going to help you. Uh, but one of the things that we need to have understanding on is how the enemy works. Because, you know, if, if you grew up or have been involved in like, you know, Pentecostals, charismatic, word people, faith people, grace people, anything like that, you've been involved in that, then you've heard some teaching, maybe some good, maybe some not so good, some understanding, maybe some good, maybe some not so good concerning spiritual warfare. You could title it like that, or you could phrase it like that. And it's basically how you deal with the enemy. And Paul writes to the Corinthians and says that we shouldn't be ignorant of his devices. And to be ignorant means that you don't know something. So we're not supposed to be in the dark concerning how the enemy works against people. We need to have some understanding in this area. So let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4. In verse 1, and when I got a hold of this, this really, really helped me be able to see how the enemy works. Because I spent a, a fair amount of my time for a certain period of time in a particular group of people, none of which I will name, but I did a lot of warfare that I later realized was basically not doing any good. It was with a good heart, and it was with good intentions, and I realized that the, dev that the devil was my enemy, and he was some kind of a factor, but I really didn't understand how he was working. The vast majority, in fact, I think I could probably say basically all spiritual warfare that takes place happens in the realm of the soul, which is your mind, your will, your emotions, and your conscience. And I do believe that there are enemies that are over regions. I don't doubt that a bit. Um, there are enemies, uh, you know, certain demonic spirits that are over cities and areas and even over a country that are, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of Jezebel stuff going on in our nation right now. There's some, there's a lot of manipulative control, intimidating, um, just a lot of really nasty stuff, but you can't just go in and just cast that out. And then all of a sudden everything is fixed because if that were the case, then it would be, it would be fixed. You know, and you've had people that have done a lot of different kind of warfare over St. Louis, over New Orleans, over San Francisco, over some of these places that are really having a lot of trouble. And I think the heart is good, but sometimes we miss really how spiritual warfare works. 
And it's not wrong to deal with demonic spirits, but it's very wrong to deal with demonic spirits and then not deal with the minds that have been vexed by the demonic spirits. You have to understand something that the enemy works through people and he works in people's minds to try to to captivate them and to try to arrest their thinking and to build uh, strongholds and to build ways of thinking, patterns, doctrines within people's minds. Because the enemy is, he's cyclical. And really the truth is, is that people are cyclical. We get into cycles of things. We're very habitual. Everybody understands this. Human beings are just, uh, what do we, how's it said, like creatures of habit. We've heard that before, that we're creatures of habit. And it's very true. You know, I, everyone's got their, their morning routine or whatever. I get up and the very first thing I do is I make my, my energy drink and I usually sit and, and read the word or just, you know, do something along those lines. But I always make my energy drink is the very first thing that I do when I get up. And we're just creature, creatures of habit. And we do all these things and we get into cycles. So here's a question that I would pose to you that I've posed to myself and I've, I've ministered this different times is that if you are doing what you're doing because of how you think, and everyone would, could agree, can we agree on that? That you do what you do because you think it first, and that you don't do something unless you have first thought it. Can, we, can I see a show of hands? Who agrees with that in here? I think everybody agrees with that. So here's the question that I pose to you. What spirit has trained your mind? And you say, well, I don't really know that I've been trained by a spirit. Oh, yes, you have. There's no neutral ground. You have the Holy Spirit. So you have to understand how, how the, the spiritual realm works. It is the parent force to everything that happens in the natural. Everything you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel in the natural has been set in motion by the spirit, by the spiritual realm. Everything you see, everything, even just creation itself, it says that the world was framed through the words of God. God spoke, he spoke it into existence, and God is a spirit, right? So everything in the natural, even from the beginning, creation was set into motion by the spirit, and everything perpetuates, and everything continues to, to, um, to continue to go, and to change, and to develop be it good or bad, through the spiritual realm. This is kind of deep, but I believe you're smart enough to get a hold of this. And you all are in agreement that you want to be able to grab a hold of some things that are going to help you. If you can see this, this will really, really help you. So, you know, Jesus told the disciples, he said, the Holy Spirit is coming, and when he comes, that he'll empower you, but he will also be your comforter, how many of y'all need some comfort from time to time? And you're glad the Holy Ghost will give you comfort. But you know, you know what else the Holy Spirit also is? Is that he is your teacher. Now let me ask you this question. And then I'll come back to the other question. Let me ask you this question. Why would anyone need the Holy Spirit to teach them? It's not a trick question. So let's shout it out. We're ignorant. Yes, yes. We're ignorant. Give me another reason. There could be more than, one re more than one answer. That is definitely one answer. We need to be taught. We need to be taught new stuff because we're ignorant. Or, okay, so we have right thinking. So we'll have some change. That's exactly right. Yes, all those answers were perfectly, perfectly good. And so there's other spiritual forces that will teach us. And I'll say it this way. 
There are other spiritual forces that have taught us. They've trained our thinking in particular ways. Nobody really wants to admit that. But the deal is, is that we need to demystify what it looks like for demonic spirits to come against people. And unfortunately, I'll just use the term religion, has really, really made it out. And, and it is a bad thing, don't catch me wrong. They've, but they've made it out to be so bad that anybody that's had any dealings with demons must just be an absolute God hater. I got news for you. Every single one of you have come in contact with demons. I'll just be safe and say in the last month, they've messed with you on some level. They've tempted you. They've, they've uh, brought thoughts to you that were not beneficial to you. You know, they're just the list can go on. And so it's, it doesn't make you bad. As a matter of fact, sometimes you got a target painted on your back because you're doing something right. So you, you can't get into all that. You just have to realize that the enemy is working to try to get people into thinking particular ways so that they will behave particular ways so that they will have outcome in their life according to what the enemy has taught them and not according to what the Holy Spirit has taught them. So we need the Holy Spirit to give us understanding so that we are not ignorant but also in areas where we have had wrong training, wrong teaching, we need the Holy Spirit to unteach, to help us unlearn things, and then to put in its place proper understanding. Every one of us in here can relate to this on some level because if you've been born again, let me see a show of hands. Who in here has been born again? You know how you got born again? Because you came to the realization that you couldn't save yourself. And the Holy Spirit, whether you realize it or not, drew you in, and it might have been a mini-teaching, but he told you, he taught you, he brought revelation to you that you had to put your faith in Christ in order to be saved. You know what that was? That was the Holy Spirit teaching you something. But oftentimes what happens is that we get saved, and then we either just allow whatever to teach us, or we don't go and unlearn the things that we used to know that we should have used to know, but we still know. We don't go and unlearn those things so that we can have proper understanding put into its place. Is this making sense to everybody in here? Amen. So let me show you a little bit more from the Word how this works. How this works. Let's pull up here in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, now the Spirit, this is talking about the Holy Spirit. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, this is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, and he's prophesying. He's saying, I'm saying under the unction of the Holy Spirit that this is going to happen in the latter times. Who believes that we're in the latter times? I mean, the writing is on the wall. You have, if you don't believe it, just read the Bible and you'll begin to see it. It says, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Just hold that verse up there for a moment because I'm going to reference it just here for a second. First of all, it's very important to understand that this is talking about believers because it is impossible to depart from something that you were never involved in. It's impossible to leave somewhere you were never at. So he says some will depart from the faith. That means that they were already in the faith. They were already trusting the Lord. So for anybody that would say, well, I just don't think demons, once you're saved, you're good to go. Well, spiritually, in terms of being born again, yeah, you are good to go. And thank God for his grace that carries us all the way to the end, or none of us would ever make it. Amen. God's grace is more than sufficient. But just because you and I get saved doesn't mean that the enemy isn't working to try and, to, and bring us into deception. 
And this is how some could fall away because, again, they were, all, they were at a place to where they were able to fall away. Amen. So it says, some will depart from the faith. This is something, as a matter of fact, this is a total side nugget, but I want to read this because this is actually really encouraging when I read this. And it was the first answer, I guess, that I've seen to this that made sense to me. But I've quoted these statistics, rough statistics, quoted these statistics concerning uh, kids coming out of church, going into the world, and how many of them totally, completely deny their faith. We're talking, the, the, and this has been true for probably the last 10, 15 years at least, that kids that have been raised in church, and I use that term loosely, raised in church, go through high school, go off to college, move out of their homes, and either go to college or start their own family, do whatever, Roughly 75%, 75% are not just stop, not just stop going to church, they're completely denying their faith. How are they doing that? Well, one answer is what this verse says. They've been deceived by demonic spirits. But I think it goes a little bit deeper. That's too simple. We could also say that their parents have not equipped them properly. And so they end up going off the deep end. And if you got any kids like that, praise God, God is a redeeming God and he can bring it back around. Amen? But here is an answer to this. Well, uh, 75% of the, the kids um, that have left the church, while that is true, 25% have stayed connected with Christ. And here are five ways, and I'm, I'm looking at a little a picture here. And here are five ways or reasons why they have stayed connected. Number one, they ate dinner five to seven nights a week as a family. It's a good thing to do. Eh, we're not quite there, but we do. The other things, I think we do pretty good. But praise God, we're gonna we're gonna increase on that. We do eat a lot of meals together. It's just our schedule doesn't always allow it to be dinner time. Um, verse verse two. Verse number two. Number two. Um, is that they served with their families in a ministry. How can you serve, how can your kids serve with you in ministry if you don't show up? In church, no condemnation, I'm just telling you the facts. These are the ones that have stayed with the Lord. Number three, they had a spiritual experience in the home during the week. So I'm pretty hard on the whole seeker-friendly movement thing. We've had, I'll just say, 30 years of seeker-friendliness in church. And if you don't know what that is, it's, it's church designed to make people feel comfortable and not address the issues that are going on in the world. And oftentimes not even give them biblical answers and solutions for the things that are going on. Oftentimes the Bible's not being preached. Oftentimes the Holy Spirit is in the back room at best and not brought out into the main room. Oftentimes there's no prayer involved. Oftentimes there's no throne room worship, those kind of things. Those are seeker-friendly churches. And what happens is that the people come in, they don't get fed, they don't have any tools, they're not equipped, and so when they go home, Christ is not real to them Sunday to Sunday. So, of course, the kids are not having an experience with the Lord between church services, between times of the corporate gathering. It's not real to anybody. And as the statistics show, the reason that kids have left 
the, the reason, now these are the reasons why they've stayed, but when they were interviewed and polls were taken, the reasons why they left is because they believed that church had no relevant power to their life. And the truth is, is that much of it didn't have any real relevant power to their life. And I'm not trying to be critical. You know, my kids are, my oldest is 16, and we don't have it all figured out. But what I am saying is we better figure out how to get it figured out. So here is um, number four. They were entrusted with responsibility in ministry at an early age. Some people don't think their kids should have any responsibility in ministry. I do. The church is the place for training people to serve people. Number five, they had at least one faith-focused adult in their lives other than their parents. We tell uh, people around us all the time, we are so thankful for your influence in our children's lives. Because kids always look at their parents like they're old. Even before I turned 40 and officially got old, my kids still looked at me like I was just, you know, from Mars or whatever. Not really, but, you know, it's good to have other influences. And so I'm saying all of this to say there is a, there is broken, there's brokenness in the family, and that needs to be restored. And so is it the chicken or the egg first? I don't really know. It needs to be fixed in the church, and it needs to be fixed in the home. And I can only work on my home, and then I can only work on everybody else's home that's associated with my home because they're in the same church family that I'm in. And so that's, that's the place where I'm starting. And it has to come back to this place of real, authentic, real living, the gospel, the Holy Ghost. All of that stuff has to be involved in what we're doing. We have paid a high price to have high numbers of people come in at the expense of truth being presented from the pulpits. If you don't believe me, just go and do some research at the things that are going on. And I am not against any other minister, pastor, man. I meet with ministers. I meet with pastors. I pray with them. I love them. I support them. Many people have just been brought into a lot of strangeness, and uh, they're just caught up in number games and all, and all of that. And I want more people to come. But I don't want more people to come just because I'm not telling them the truth. If you have to compromise to, to get something, you'll have to compromise to keep it. I don't want to live in compromise. I want to live in truth. Hallelujah. Well, I got some pretty good amens. So when you look at this, and I didn't do it for the amens, but I want you to agree with me. Amen. So you look at this, and you, you could view this in a couple different lights. One is that from a, a church perspective, that you have ministers that are not leading people, and therefore it's allowed deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons to come in and swallow up the things that should be going on. But then on a personal level, and I think this is probably even as much or more applicable on a personal level, people, and I think because they haven't had good coverings and good teaching and things like that, and I'm not saying in every circle, please don't misunderstand me, but in a lot of circles it's true, they haven't good, good, had good covering, and so because of it, they have more easily given heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, let me finish talking about this verse, and then I'm going to get into to the meat. Can you guys handle a few more minutes with me? Good, because I'm going to give it to you whether you can or not, because I know you can. I know you better. All right. So this is talking about deceiving spirits. You have to understand that deceiving spirits, deception by nature, is designed to make people believe that they're not being deceived even though they're being deceived. 
This is why the enemy doesn't, you know, like all the, the, the TV shows and the cartoon characters where you got, you know, you got the angel on one shoulder saying, do good, and then you got the demon or whatever, Satan on the other shoulder saying, no, go ahead and do the bad thing. I wish it were that easy, but it's not. He comes disguised as an angel of light. Often what looks right is not right. How do we know? We have to come, we have to have a plumb line for truth, and it always goes back to what the word of God says, what the word teaches. That is our plumb line for truth. And so deceiving spirits work to deceive people. And here's one of the things that that I wish I could take good gads of time to talk about this, but every person hearing me say this right now, those that are watching online, those that are watching the replay, all of that. You need to understand that you have the ability to be deceived. It's, with, it's, within your, it's within your makeup to be able to be deceived. Now, you, you also can, can make a decision to not be deceived, but you do have the ability to be deceived. We need to realize that. And as soon as we think that we don't have the ability to be deceived or that possibly that we have never been deceived, the Bible says that pride comes before the fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. It really is a level of pride in us to think that we could never be deceived. Now, I don't think you need to, to walk around just worried about whether you've been deceived or not, but we should be willing to have our eyes opened up to say, Lord, how have I not been thinking correctly? So going back to the first question that I asked, what spirit has trained your mind? We live out what we believe, and we believe based on the way that we think. So the things that you're going about doing, just your day-to-day stuff, how you think, how you treat people, how you see things, your position and, and life and towards your job and towards the Lord, what spirit has trained your mind? And the reason I know that this, is this too tough for you guys to swallow? I think you can handle it. The reason I know this can be true and, and, and is true is because I've been to a lot of church services over the years where people will sing songs about praising the Lord, but nobody praises the Lord. And if you lift your hands, I remember Liz and I were visiting some friends one time, and it was a pretty good-sized church. I'd say there's five, six, seven hundred people in there. And they were, it was a particular denomination, and they were uh, singing the songs, and there wasn't one, I looked around, and there wasn't one person raising their hands. Now, I don't get on people if they don't raise their hands during worship. That's kind of a personal thing. But if you're going to have, let's just say, 500 people safely in a room, somebody ought to be raising their hands. I mean, come on, someone ought to be. I mean, somebody should have been shouting. And I think simple answer could be bad culture, but how did they come to that place of having that kind of culture to where you would sing songs in a very methodical, I would call it religious way, See, I'm pretty safe here. You wouldn't be here tonight if you had a religious bone in your body, or you probably already would, would have left. But I just call it like it is. I would ask a question, where did you come up with your idea of what worship is? Because it didn't come from the Bible. Again, I'm not coming down on it being like, I feel kind of conservative. Well, I, then I would ask you the same question. Why are you so conservative in worship? Well, I just, uh, it's just not me. Oh, you mean you were created in the image of God to stand there like a bump on the log, to sit there like a bump on the log? Listen, we're all, we're all growing. Liz is more 
than me. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll admit, I'm not as... It, people are different. I'm not coming down on you for your personality and things like that. It's, it's really okay. But sometimes we get in such ruts, the way we do things, even the way that we relate to the Lord, and you just got to go back and go, why, if you, let's, let's ask it in a softer way. Why am I thinking the way that I'm thinking? Maybe it's too rough to say, what spirit has trained your mind? Why am I thinking the way that I'm thinking? Did God teach me to never raise my hands? Did God teach me to never dance? I'm just using worship as an example. Did the Holy Spirit, is he the one that taught me to never raise my voice with a shout unto the Lord? Is he the, is he the one that taught me to let the redeemed of the Lord not say so? Is that the Holy Spirit? No, the Holy Spirit didn't do that. You could have just had some bad culture or some bad example that told you you're saved. Now act like a, a stiff the rest of your life. Pardon me for being blunt. You could have just had some bad teaching, but where did they get it? From somebody else, where did they get it? At some point, the enemy convinced somebody that they need to praise God, but not really praise God while they're praising God. I get, when I'm in, when I'm in circles and stuff, even when it gets quiet in here, I'll be honest with you, it makes me a little bit nervous. I'm thinking, oh, Jesus, what did, what, what happened that you, did you not, you didn't, did you do something to not deserve praise? Because, you know, and that can be a little bit of Kent that I like things just, let's go for it. And I don't want people to feel condemned or anything like that. But you've got to ask yourself, why am I thinking the way that I'm thinking? This is, this is a, a checkup from the neck up. I'm giving you a tool here because if you can learn to see how you're doing things and then allow the Lord to uncover why it is that you're doing things, is it just because you were raised that way? Is it because you got hurt and then you started doing things based off of hurt? There's a lot of people that live hurt and everything in their life is directed by the fact that somebody hurt them. Tell me I ain't telling the truth. That is absolutely the truth. There's a lot of things that we do that we just have to go back and go, why, why are we thinking and believing and acting that way? And you know what? You can, you can act like a crazy person the rest of your life, and God will still love you. Because You know how I know that? It's because I spent a good part of my life thinking like a knucklehead, and God still loved me. He still loves you. But the more you think like the enemy wants you to think, the less of God's results you'll have in your life. And it's not God going, you worm, I can't believe you would think that. I'm not blessing you. No, you're already blessed. It's just learning how to walk in the blessing that God's given you. This word doctrine here, it says deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. This word doctrine here means line upon line thinking. Precept upon precept. See, when we think about doctrinal things, uh, I think about the word. I think about a teacher laying out good biblical doctrine, and we all need good biblical doctrine, amen? We need our theology scripturally needs to be sound. And again, that's what the Holy Spirit is here for. But it's also what demons are here for. Our thinking sometimes about demonic spirits is like 
the people that you've seen, you know, fall on the floor and foam at the mouth and do things like that, that that's demonization. That's one form of demonization. And I use the word demonization because it's more broad. And when you say possessed, you immediately are drawing a conclusion of somebody that's possessed to the place to where they're like the gathering demoniac, to where they break chains and they, they run around naked and do things like that. <laughs> That's what possession looks like, and that is possession. But how about people that are being oppressed? How about people that are struggling with depression? How about people that are being bombarded with wrong thinking? How about people that are being attacked in every which way and the other way? That's the enemy, too. And you know what else is the enemy? This. Why would he build doctrine? And think about this. Why would the enemy bring doctrine to people? It's because the way that you believe, based on the way that you think, is what you will do in your life. It's what you will manifest. It's what you will walk in. We are a sum total of the way that we think. We're a sum total of the way that we think. Here's what your heart is. Your heart is, I did a study on this one time, and there are 800 some odd verses that have the word heart in them. And you can go do your own study, but my conclusion of what the heart is, is what you believe based on the way that you think. Because there's many verses that talk about the heart thinking and the heart believing. They seem to have both of those functions. And my conclusion was your heart is, what you believe based on the way that you think. And this is why it says, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life. So we should be careful to put in us what belongs and to put a guard against things that don't belong. How do we know what doesn't belong? You got to go back to the word and see what the word says. You have to believe what, what the word says. Again, it's our plumb line for everything. But it's good for us to know, and I'm taking way longer to, to belabor this point than what I was planning, but just as I'm sharing this, I felt like I really need to say this. I need to say it to where we get it because we need to realize something. It's possible that we can be deceived. Even to the point that we could have a doctrinal stance on something, it could be a, it could be a biblical doctrinal stance that could be wrong, or it could just be like a, a foundation that we have in our life, the way we see things, the way that we perceive things, the way that we look at money, the way that we look at our spouse, any of those kind of things that could be totally wrong because the foundation of that thing didn't come from the Lord. We weren't taught by the Lord. We weren't taught by the Holy Spirit. We were literally taught by some other kind of spirit. Amen. I think I, 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 think I felt a pretty good in the room like, I got it. Sometimes preachers will stay on something for a little bit until they feel the whole room go, okay. And you all hit that. Okay, let's go to Genesis chapter 4. You're with me. I like you guys. I don't care what anyone says about you. I, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Nobody said anything. Genesis chapter 4. Let's talk about a vagabond spirit. It's 716. I'm going to quit at 735. Everybody stand up for one moment. I heard a, I heard a chuckle in there. And you just wait and see. Everybody say, thank you, Jesus, for your word. It's life to me. It's health to my flesh. And it sets me free. And it keeps me free. 
Hallelujah. You may be seated. You don't have to say that part. All right. Genesis chapter 4. I want to read 12 verses, and then I want to talk about this. I want to talk about a vagabond spirit for the remainder of the time that we have. And in simplicity, let me say this about a vagabond spirit. Is that I, I don't know that I could say that I've ever seen anyone, quote, like possessed with the spirit of vagabond. And you might even question, well, I don't know that there is a spirit of vagabond. Understand this. There are lots of things that we've identified as being spirits, principalities, some form of the enemy working to bring people into bondage. The spirit of fear. I mentioned uh, Jezebel. You could talk about uh, Absalom. You could have a, a spirit of infirmity. You could have all kinds of spirits. Some are listed in the Bible. Some are not. But just like Paul said that according to the Holy Spirit, that in the last days, Many will be deceived. He was speaking that by the Holy Spirit. So we can come into understanding because of what the, the Holy Spirit has revealed to us. And so I'm going to talk to you about what a vagabond is. And if you want to call it a not a demonic spirit, that's fine. But understand the mindset is wrong. So where did the mindset come from? The Holy Ghost didn't teach anyone to be a vagabond. I'll let you put two and two together. It says, now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time, his brother, uh, his brother Abel. Yes, this time his brother Abel. I had to switch pages. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain in his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you so angry, and why has your countenance fallen? Let me say this, try to say this as quickly as I can. It, the question that the Lord asks almost seems like a, a ridiculous question. He said, why are you so angry? Why has your countenance fallen? Well, to the, us, the readers, we could read it and say, well, obviously, it's because he rejected his offering. Here went Cain went, and he brought an offering to the Lord, and God rejected it. Well, why did God reject it? Because that really is, that really is the answer. And, and the thing is, is that if God was asking that question, it's because there was already an expectation of a proper offering to be brought to the Lord. Hebrews tells us that by faith, Cain, uh, excuse me, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. So on some level, Cain was not in faith and Abel was in faith. There's a couple of different looks or views as to what they could possibly be. And, you know, one of those things is that, uh, is that Abel brought of his first and of his best. Let me tell you something. You always need to bring your first and your best to God. And I'm not saying that God's going to, you know, come against your heart if you don't. We're in the new covenant. And I believe in the, the blood of the new covenant. But so much more on this side of the cross being covered by the grace of God. Should we give God our first and give God our best? That's one reason possibly why God accepted Abel's offering and not Cain. The other reason possibly is it said that Cain brought of his produce, whereas Abel brought of his flock which mean that it meant that blood was shed, whereas Cabal didn't bring any blood to be shed. So some people could say, well, it's because Cain was a tiller of the ground, 
and Abel was a keeper of the sheep, so he didn't have anything. I actually find it really hard to believe that Cain didn't have any animals back then because the animals, I believe probably, I'm just supposing, but there was probably lots of animals. And here's the thing is that in the garden, there was a sacrifice made after Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves. Remember this? They sewed fig leaves together and they tried to cover themselves. God said, not good enough. He didn't actually say that, but he, God went and he killed animals and he made tunics of skin and he covered them. Why was the fig leaves not good enough? I'm going to say it's that in the sacrifice of those animals to cover them, God was saying, wait, because there's going to come a time for the sin that's in the world that's going to be covered by something else, and it's going to be Jesus. So sometime between when Adam and Eve had a sacrifice, God made a sacrifice for them to cover them, and this, God had laid some kind of expectation on them for bringing a proper offering to the Lord, and Cain didn't do it. Uh, so in, in verse 7, it says, if you do well, will you not be accept, accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, at your door, at the door. Man, if I can read, I need some light up here. And <laughs> seriously, I do. Uh, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. I am, am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its womb to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive, and here it is, a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. So a fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. Here's something interesting. There's lots of interesting things I'm going to tell you very quickly. First of all, when you read in verse 2, it says that Cain was a tiller of the ground. The thing that God had called him to, vagabond, the vagabond mindset ripped from him. A vagabond spirit will take away the calling of your life. Because if you go down, he said, if you, a fugitive and a vagabond, you should be on the earth. Um, but the beginning of that verse, it says, when you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. So here you had a guy that was known for being a tiller of the ground, but he got, I'm going to say, further invested or cursed into this lifestyle of a vagabond, which caused him to be the complete opposite and to do the complete opposite of what God said he was supposed to do. A vagabond, hear me now, and this is why I believe that Cain was already in a vagabond lifestyle, is because a vagabond is not covenant-minded. Somebody who's a vagabond is one that roams about from place to place. In the natural, that's the picture. You know the picture of the, the guy who's carrying a stick and he's got the little, you know, handkerchief full of food or whatever at the end and the clothes on his back and he's walking through? That's like our picture of what a vagabond is. They don't have a place. They're not settled. They're not planted. They roam around. Well, a, a vagabond is not only one who's not planted, and I'm going to show you that here in a second, but they're also not covenant-minded. Another word for vagabond, if you go and look this up, is the word tramp. The word tramp means, traditionally, 
This is what it means, and it could be male or female, but traditionally, a tramp is a woman who is not committed sexually to her husband, but roams about with other men. That's what a tramp is. Well, you can go and look and see that a vagabond and a tramp, uh, they basically, they mean the same thing, and you can find the word tramp and vagabond. And so one who is not covenant-minded, a tramp would be one who is not covenant-minded, because if you have people that are in a covenant, hear me now on this, they're in a covenant, but one steps outside of the covenant, it doesn't mean they're not in covenant, it means that that person doesn't think like they are in a covenant. And here's how we know that Cain was not covenant-minded, is because nobody would kill their brother over whatever offense that might have been there Nobody would kill their brother if they were really covenant-minded towards that, that brother. When you have natural siblings that come out of a womb, co- covenant comes through blood. Covenant is, is basically, scripturally, almost always made through blood. There are ex- other exceptions, but generally speaking, covenant is made through blood. They cut covenants. Jonathan cut a, a covenant with, with David, And that would have been an actual mingling of the blood, which people should not do today. But there was blood involved, and there was always these types and shadows of of blood. Well, when uh, when you have people that come out of the same womb, siblings that come out of the same womb, we all know what it looks like for a baby to be born, and there is blood involved. They come from the same... Uh, DNA, whatever. You know, they come from the same gene pool is what I'm trying to say. And so they are, whether they act like it or not, they are in covenant with one another. They just don't sometimes act like it. Who's ever, well, never mind. But some of us could relate to that. Maybe we've had siblings that they didn't necessarily act like they were in covenant with us and maybe us towards them at different times in our life. This is what was going on with Cain and Abel. Cain was not acting like a covenant person, and this is why he came against his brother. You need to understand something. Here is my point, and I just don't have enough time to make the point, but here is my point with this particular point is that when it, when it comes to people being covenant-minded, we are, see, I'm all about the church. My job, I have a calling, an unction, it's thrusted upon me to resurrect the church of the Lord Jesus as far as my voice is concerned and for it to be resurrected right the way that God designed it, the church that Jesus built, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But the only way that we can prevail is if we do it together. And you know one of the problems that is in the church today is that people have a vagabond mentality. They have a vagabond mindset. Let me ask you something. Which one of you, when you were growing up, that your mama cooked you a meal and you got up from the meal And you said, you know what, Mom? I don't like you. I don't like your cooking. And I'm never coming back to this table to eat again. Let me see. Who did that here? Who did that to their mother? Huh? Anybody do that? No. You know why? Because you had a covenant. And at least on some level, you acted civil towards the people that you sat around the dinner table with. But when it comes to church and people come and they sit around the pulpit and they eat of the meal they walk away and they act like a bunch of hoodlums. They act like people that don't know God. They act like infidels. Actually, that's not the right word. Sure, we'll use that. They act like infidels. They act like people that don't know God. Not infidels. What's the word I'm looking for? Huh? 
I'm not hearing it. But anyways, you know, people that know non-covenant people, heathen, there you go. Thank you, sir. They act like heathens. They go to church. They get a meal. And they walk out the doors. And they curse the person that gave them the meal. You say, man, are you talking about me? I don't know. Am I? Probably not. But you've heard these people before, haven't you? You've all been a part of it. You've all seen it. You've all heard it. And you say, well, but sometimes what the pastor was preaching just wasn't quite right. Well, you know what? Sometimes mama cooks up a meal that she might have added just a little bit too much salt or a little bit too much sugar or not enough vanilla or whatever it is. Nobody's perfect. It's not about perfection. It's about thinking and breathing and believing that you are a covenant, that you're in a covenant with people because of the blood of Jesus, and they deserve for you to treat them right. But a vagabond mindset has blinded, it has crippled people, it has deceived people into thinking that it's okay to come against their brothers and sisters in the Lord. Let me tell you something. It is not okay to come against your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Are there problems? Yes. Do things need to be addressed? Yes. Are pastors wrong sometimes? Yeah. Do people hurt people? Yes. Do issues arise? You betcha. Are people wrong? Yes. I don't know how else I can say it, but all the ways that you can figure out if there are problems inside the church, yeah. But you know the biggest problem? People being offended that people offended them. We don't really know what Abel said to Cain, because remember, they, have, they were having a conversation. He might have said, nanny nanny boo boo, stick your face in doo doo. God received my offering and not yours. We really don't know. I don't think that he did. He seemed to be a better man than that. But let's pretend that he did. Is that justification for Cain to kill him? No. Even if Abel said all the nasty swear words of the day and cursed him and did all this stuff, it still was not Cain's job to kill him if he was really a covenant-minded person. Covenant-minded people don't look to rip other people down. They look to build them up. Honor needs to be restored back to the house of God. And everybody's fallen prey to this. We've all all found ourselves in conversations. And you know what? We need to repent faster. Faster, right in front of people. If we ever find ourselves in conversations, and this isn't about me. This is about the church as a whole. Most of the time, we cut people down or hear people get cut down. We need to come to their aid and their rescue, and we need to be quick to repent. Not give the enemy any ammunition. So I'm going to make this first point that vagabonds are not covenant-minded. If you are not covenant-minded, if you could come in and be quick to be offended, quick to be hurt, and then uproot and and leave or whatever, you're not somebody who's covenant-minded. And I believe the last day church is going to be stronger than horseradish. It might be small, but it's going to be strong. And I determined years ago that I am more interested in unity unity than I am in numbers. I've prayed people out. Sometimes for people to go, Pastor, did you hear that they're leaving? I was like, yes, I heard And I'm thinking, yeah, I spent five hours praying that they would go because they were creating division. 
Some people are hell-bent on creating trouble. You know what I say? There's the door. Don't let it hit you on the way out. And I don't mean you guys. I mean the troublemakers. Amen. I know that's strong language, but we got to be serious about the Lord's business. Because if it's a unified church that makes the church powerful, then that's what I'm after, even if it means we lose people that don't, that don't want to be in unity. Paul said, rebuke a divisive man after the first and second, admi- or the second and third admonition. Actually, he said, have nothing to do with them. Stricter rules in the early church than there was now. People come in and they're like, oh, you know, somebody does just wacko stuff. And it's like, oh, we just love them by grace. Yeah, we can love them by grace, but they better not hurt the sheep or they're going to have to deal with me. I take unity really, really serious. And people can be like, oh, you just think you're so big and bad with the microphone. A little bit. I just, the deal is, is I just value unity. More literally, as far as people coming together, more than anything else. It says, Howard, Howard can two or more walk together unless they be unified, all right, in agreement. And that in agreement is like a covenant kind of agreement. It's not talking about believing everything the same. You ever met any person? You know, you get around somebody for about 10 minutes. You could take any two people in the world and get around each other for 10 minutes, and you're going to find something you don't agree about. Well, who gives a rip? It's not about that. It's about being covenant-minded. It's about choosing to be with the people that God has called you to be with regardless. Now, I'm not saying you need to live under abuse. Sometimes pastors can be abusive. Leaders can be abusive. There can be stuff to where it's like, I need to get out of here. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. But when people are just working together to work towards the Lord, and God's called you there, be there. Sometimes you just need to be there and be quiet. Okay. I'll repent on the way home, Lord. I'm just going to say it for the moment. It's 735. I said I'd be done at 736. Look at this last point. When you tell, he said in verse 11, he said, so... Now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from, the, from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you, is what I was looking for. I used to think that it was the Lord supernaturally suspending the ability of the soil from Cain so that he wouldn't be able to receive anything that he planted. But this is what I really believe to be true, is that because Cain was a fugitive, which meant he was on the run, And because he was a vagabond, it meant that he would be roaming and he wouldn't be planted long enough anywhere to bear any fruit. Vagabonds, people vexed by a vagabond spirit, people that are have a vagabond mentality, however you want to phrase it, those people, because they are not planted, they have no root and therefore they have no fruit. And a lot of the roaming that people do, it's not a geographical roaming. It's an internal roaming. They'll sit in the church for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. They get saved, and they never change. They don't ever produce any fruit. Does God love them? Heck, yeah. Praise God for his love. But I don't know about you all, but I want to produce some fruit. I want to get to heaven and have a bunch of people that came with me because I was producing fruit because of the one that I was tied to and I was planted in the house of the Lord. And while I was planted geographically, I was planted internally. 
I was like, God, we're here. I'm not going to be double-minded. I'm going to believe your word. I'm going to do your word. I'm going to act on your word. I'm not going to believe anything else. I'm not going to get offended, and I'm going to stay right here and allow you to produce out of me because I'm tied to the vine, and everything that I touch, because I'm touched to you, I'm tied to you, everything I touch is going gonna, is gonna to have great things happen to it. That's the kind of life that I want to live, but you got to be planted. Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 3, it says, let's pull that up there really quickly. Isaiah 61 and 3. I'm out of time. It says, uh, I think that's verse, oh yeah, the very end there, a verse, oh, that's the whole verse 3, okay. Um, go down to the last part. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. It brings God glory when people are planted. It brings God glory when people are planted in the house of the Lord. I know that could sound religious, just with people that God's called you to. Underneath of good teaching, good leadership, good fivefold ministry, when people are planted there and when they're planted inside, that's what will cause them to produce. And they're not roaming about anymore. They're not roaming about geographically. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't change seasons and people don't move and different things happen. I get that. Man, when people go, we bless them as they go. When they've given us the, the, the permission to send them, we, we bless them as we send them. Totally fine. Totally kingdom-minded. Totally of God. But it's also right to be somewhere God's called you to be. This is when you have these, these people, I call them like, like outhouse prophets, and they don't show up too much anymore, but whenever outhouse prophets come in, they leave a stink when they go. Um, but, you know, it's like these, usually like a rogue kind of a prophet, but you'll have these people, and it's like they're, they're God's gift to the church, and they've always got a word for the church, and they blow in, they blow up, and they blow out, and you don't hear from them. I don't really connect with those kind of people. I connect with people that are... St- that will stay. Not that we don't have people come in and give in to, to, the, to the church and bless the church. I really believe in that. But I like people that will get their hands dirty and work. I like the people that will come and eat the meal and they'll do the dishes. Why? Because you're part of a family. Part of the household of God. Be planted. Be a part. Be connected. But the people did this stuff to me in the past. I get it. Let it go. It's not helping you move forward. Your identity, notice how Cain got robbed from, I'll say not so much his identity, but what he was called to do. He couldn't do that thing anymore because he was no longer planted. When people are not planted with other people, they will never find themselves doing the thing that God's called them to do. Not truly, because the giftings that God has given you, they're not for you. So when these people, uh, you know, I'll talk to them, I'll be like, oh, man, where you been? I haven't seen you. Me and Jesus been at home. We've been having a good time together. Just me and Jesus. We've just been having our alone time. You've been going to church, fellowshipping with people or anything? No, just me and Jesus. And they get all weird, and they grow long hair and do weird stuff and whatever, you know? And it's like... (laughs) Sorry, Lord. And, and they get really off and strange and funky. And they're trying to be something that they can't be unless and do things that they can't do unless they're tied to other people because your gifts aren't for you. They're for everybody else. How can you give them out to people if they're not 
happy if you're not with people. All right, I'm done. I went five minutes over. I received the ha-ha when I said 735. I tried my best. Hallelujah. Did y'all get something out of this? Praise God. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit ociperryville.com.